Well, welcome once again to Talking With Tech presented by Speech Science. As always, I'm joined here by my friend, Rachel Madel. How are you? I'm great, Lucas. How are you? And of course, the irreplaceable Christopher Gay. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me here. I'm awesome. How's everybody? Uh, how's everybody doing? We're getting pretty close to, to a big conference here. I'm getting really excited. Everyone's coming to LA to visit me. I'm actually feeling pretty sad because I won't be at uh, ASHA LA this year. I know. I was. I'm sorry that I asked. I was gonna. I was gonna go for a little boo. Too soon. It's too soon, Lucas. Chris. <laughs> well, for those of you that are going, um, we're gonna talk a fair amount about ASHA after our interview today. But um, Rachel and I will be there, and uh, we'll be posting on our social media. So make sure to fo- follow us at Speech Science on Facebook. Um, that's where most of our updates are going to be coming, and of course, also Instagram and the Twitters and all of those wonderful places. But I fully intend on planting myself in hilarious spots with video going, and you have to guess where I am and come get a free code for an app or something like that. So we've had um, two interviews now uh, go up. We spoke to the amazing Ajit Narayanan, as well as, of course, Bill Binko, um, and uh, we're we, we've got so much content, you guys. Like it's just amazing to think of educational technology as a mandate. Uh, to, to build a podcast around is just wild. But one thing we haven't done yet is really talk about who we are. So Rachel, give me a little context. What, what, what makes you part of this podcast and why do you love what you do? Yeah. So I uh, live in LA and I have a private practice here. I work pretty much exclusively with children with autism and specifically using AAC, um, everything from low tech communication boards to high tech speech generating devices, um, I do a lot of parent support, so I'm really passionate passionate about helping parents. And I have a website that is dedicated to video content and blog content to help parents. I think they feel really overwhelmed and daunted when they have a child who is minimally verbal or nonverbal with autism. Um, they, a lot of them have had speech therapy, you know, in the past, and it just hasn't been as successful as they would have hoped. So I just want to help as many parents as I can. Yeah, right on. That's a definition of a service professional, right? What about yeah. what about you, Chris? Uh, I know you've had a, a really cool journey, so I'm curious to learn more. Yeah, so um, my background is also speech language pathology, but um, about four years into my career as a speech language pathologist, the school district that I was working for came to me, invited me to be, uh, they invited me to be one of the founding members of the assistive technology team for our district. So it was myself and four other people started it and kind of figured out what assistive technology is and how it's going to work in our school district. And so since then, um, it's been, uh, I've been a, an assistive technology person with a speech background as opposed to a speech therapist who works on the assistive technology team. Um, and uh, it's, it's been a crazy ride so far. I've, I do it. I had my own podcast. It's called the AT Tips Cast. And I got to write a book for ISTE with my co-author, who is also a speech language pathologist. And that book is the Practical and Fun Guide to Assistive Technology in Public Schools. And uh, we, you know, we tried the, the book and the, the podcast is all about like having fun with all of this. I mean, it's, uh, it doesn't have to be professional development like this podcast doesn't have to be, you know, super boring and feel like you got to take your medicine. And oh, I guess I'll listen to the Talking with Tech a podcast today on my commute like no let's let's make it fun and, and and still come out at the end like yeah i want to try that i want to do so I, I, i'm inspired by what i just heard 
That's great. That's great. That's that's so in line. I mean, you can, listeners, you can probably figure out why the three of us are all in a room together. We've got a pretty common vision in terms of uh, how much fun this can be um, and how much need there is for education, right, in, in the field. But and then so in okay, last but hopefully least, my name is Lucas Tuber. Um, I'm a speech language pathologist in the upper west, uh, northwest part of the United States, right? So Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Alaska, kind of where where needed. Um, and my specialty is certainly in the area of augmentative and alternative communication and specifically low cost uh, maker fabricated um, devices and low incidence populations. So I work a lot with kids with autism, a lot with kids with rare genetic disorders, Pitt Hopkins, um, Brett syndrome, things like that. So um, I love my job. Uh, my, my original bachelor's was in computer science and then carried on and did a master's in applied linguistics and then carried on some more because I figured that I, you know, why not a little bit more student debt. Uh, to do the speech language pathology thing. And um, it's amazing because if you were to draw like this, this Venn diagram of people that are into like really nerdy language and then service of special populations and then computer science, it's like the overlap is like nil, right? Um, so it's, I found a very rewarding position because I get to talk about stuff that I love all day um, and work with people that I love all day. So, so it's good stuff. So I'm really excited to be um, a part of this podcast. I'm so glad that I, you know, and humbled that you folks have um, helped to, to make this thing a reality and I'm ready to get going. So that's basically my background. Um, you know, my background also is as somebody who, you know, works in a lot of rural schools and goes into a lot of situations where I find that, um, you know, the team of specialists and certainly the parents and um, the other circle of support is not very well trained in the use of augmentative communication. Um, and that's uh, been a little bit mind blowing sometimes, a little bit terrifying, uh, but um, it's also made me really passionate about the drive to create resources like this that are almost what I would call like covert continuing education, right? You can listen to this in the car, you can hear us try things and you know what, when things don't work, we're going to tell you that they didn't work and why. Um, but to really help, help to not only demystify a lot of the technology used in schools, but also to, to make it more, more fun, more approachable. And on that point, Lucas, I feel like it's really important for me and for us to hear what our listeners want to know. So we'd love to hear your questions. If you have any, you know, issues when with any child on your caseload or, you know, you tried to set up a certain device and it's not working, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what I love, like troubleshooting with teams on, you know, he has autism and he keeps hitting the, the button over and over again. What do I do? Like, I have lots of ideas. So I'd love to hear, you know, questions from you guys as far as what you, what you're having trouble with in your own practice and, you know, what kinds of information that you want to hear from us. Perfect. I absolutely agree. So please do get a hold of us. Our email address is tech at speechscience.org. Again, that's tech at speechscience.org. If you have a question for either myself, for Rachel, or for Chris, um, or for the whole group, we're, we're happy to, to answer it on air um, and in person often. And then you also can give us a call, um, which is at 503-345-6740. Again, 503-345-6740. Um, and leave a message. Uh, unfortunately, we're almost never able to pick up the, the phone call. I think you all know how this work goes. But, um, but if you prefer to, to call rather than email, um, we'd, we'd love to hear uh, some tips for the show, things we did right, things we maybe did wrong. And um, more than anything, we'd love to hear your success stories because we'd love to hear those, uh, you know, put, put them up on air for you. Well, 
After the break here, we're going to talk a little bit more about ASHA uh, and the convention that's coming up just a few days after you hear this. But before that, let's have our interview here with Mr. R.J. Cooper, one of the originals in the assistive technology world and certainly still a person very much around today. All right. Well, welcome back to yet another episode of Speech Science Presents Talking with Tech. Um, this is Lucas Stuber. I'm sitting in for uh, my colleagues today, Mr. Begay, who could, uh, could not be with us today, unfortunately. Today, I have the great honor of, of speaking to my erstwhile friend and uh, frequent conference co-attendee, Mr. R.J. Cooper. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Lucas. I'm, I'm thrilled. You know, we always have wonderful conversations, and so this is great that we're able to arrange this. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll ask you the, the question that I, I sort of like to ask to begin with, which is, you know, basically who are you and what brought you to where you are? That sounds great. It was a pleasure seeing you at the recent autism event up in Oregon. Yeah, and that was fun. At that particular event, you were the star, not me. Well, you know, it's easy when it's the local, uh, the local audience, right? <laughs> Well, I'm R.J. Cooper, and since 1983, I've been developing technology for people with special needs. Briefly, I started in computer science at the University of Utah and wanted to do something different with the technology, so I approached the Peace Corps, but in 1983, not many people even knew what a computer was. So just thinking about how to use a computer towards something like the Peace Corps, I came up with the then unique concept of using computers for people with disabilities. I approached the local vocational rehabilitation and also the rehab department at the local med center there, and they both accepted me very nicely and had me do some projects in which I worked with some technology, having a gentleman who had a cliff diving accident the previous year and wanted to continue with his electrical engineering curriculum at the University of Utah, and we developed a way for him to talk to the computer so it could recognize some of his words and he could do some of his homework and even draw some schematics to draw his own printed circuit boards. Wow. Then I had another one, a post coma person who was one of those coma statistics on a, a prom night hit by a drunk driver in a coma for seven years, woke up seven years later and thought it was the next day after prom. They gave her to me and within two weeks I had her using back in those days, a very large keyboard with two inch buttons and an echo speech synthesizer on an old Apple II, and she was able to creatively spell things such as my arm hurts or I'm happy. And between those two projects, I became a little bit of a celebrity in Utah. Over the years, I built upon that, created more and more tech, went back to school, learned about my populations, and I'm fortunate that these days I'm recognized not only as a vendor, developer, and inventor, but also my favorite is I'm a resource for people, especially speech language paths out there in practice. Great. Yeah, that's that's how I've primarily known you is, is certainly as a as a consultant. And and obviously you you know you you have products of your own um, as well, which my understanding is that they've continued to be pretty successful. Is that true? That is true. Surprisingly, even stuff that I created 20 years ago still trickles out to you guys out there in the real world. And I'm always flattered when somebody asks for a new registration code for software that I created literally 20 years ago, showing that it still has some use. I feel very flattered about that. That's great. That's great. So I remember when we, when we first met, and this is probably something like five years ago now, I, I sent you in, uh, a message and I just said like, hey, it's nice to, it's nice to meet somebody else who's, who's sort of hacking together their own stuff. 
And, and your response was, you may be a hacker, but I've been doing this long enough. I'm not a hacker anymore. <laughs> so, so what, explain to me, what's, what's the distinction? Are, are, do you make things, but you're, but you know what you're doing. You're not, you're not repurposing materials or. Well, actually I am probably the number one thing I do is repurpose. So I'll take something that already exists commercially and then I'll adapt it. Sometimes it's a very light adaptation and other times it's, it's quite heavy, but I adapt things so that I don't have to recreate the wheel and I don't have to charge people to create something from scratch because making anything plastic, it's the plastic piece that costs a lot of money. Right. The electronics is not bad, but creating plastics is a very expensive proposition. So I choose to use things that already exist, modify them, and then use them out in the field. So hacking would be more for a non-professional uh, stance. Hacking would be you're making it for a college presentation or someone locally comes to you and you're a, a graduate student and you figure out something that would work with this one person. But once you're in a production type of um, situation, even if it's small production, and you're expected to be professional, we try to stay away from the word hacking because it has, especially these days, it has such a negative connotation. It does. That's probably why I got a bit defensive with you, Lucas. No, no, I, it's okay. It was a good correction. I, um, I, I hadn't really thought of it that way, especially when we do have things out there like, um, oh, like access and, uh, you know, the AT maker movements and these things, which really were on the cusp of a potential renaissance um, in terms of what can be done with 3D printing and with Arduino boards and these other things. Um, but what you say is a very valid point that we need to be careful when we're designing solutions that they're generalizable. Is that that, that is so true. And you do get these hackables and Arduino projects, but they're really what I call one-offs. And right. they don't really stand the test of time or practice, which means that a lot of times some of these will be funded under a grant. When the grant ends, the people will just move on. So they're not going to be there for support or they're just doing it as a one-time favor to somebody and you really can't depend on them in the future. So right. I usually tell people these days, you can almost always get what you need by a professional. And there, we do have quite a few very nice professional companies within the field of assistive technology. And when you do go for the one-off approach, which is have a company or a person or a department at a university make something for you, almost always it bites them in the butt. Within one year, they're coming back to me and saying they have this thing. Now they're asking me to fix something which I've had no knowledge of. Which you didn't know. Right. So my advice always is to people getting started with technology, even though there may be somebody that can offer their services, similar to your brother-in-law could make your computer for you um, 10, 15 years ago. They can, they can buy the parts and make your computer. But I say go with a professional company that has warranties. They have an 800 number. They have people that know what they're doing. And they're going to be there tomorrow when you need them. Right. And, and speaking as the IT guy that fixes all my, my family computers, we, we will thank you for that. <laughs> um, so, you know, another question I had is if you look at, you know, um, and obviously I'm a relative newcomer to the industry. I was in research for, for a while, but I've, I've really been in the field for five, six years now. Um, even in my tenure, I've seen such, such a consolidation in terms of mergers and acquisitions and these things, let alone the history of the last 20 years. You know, I, I, I don't think it's a, a far stretch to say that you're one of, 
if not the only um, independent producers still remaining from from 20 years ago. To, to what do you account that? Well, first of all, I'm not. There are a few other small fries, I would call us. And the other end of the spectrum, I call the big boys, which would be the Toby Dynavoxes or the Saltillos or the Prinky Romiches right. that, uh, that buy up other companies and somehow make them um, even better than they were before. So they do a good service for us in providing real high degrees of professionalism. A person like me and the other companies in my position would be the one to four number of employees or one to four people, usually a chief cook and bottle washer but like myself, that's trying to be as professional as we can with the limited budgeting that we have, limited financial resources, but yet still considered um, not a hacker, but someone like, I think independent was a very nice word. Independent is a good word. It shows that we really listen to people as they call in or as they email into us and we can independently make something for that one person. But because of our long history in the field, we can make something that's going to last, that we can provide a one-year warranty to, and we're going to be here tomorrow when they have questions. And I would say there are about 10 other companies in our field of assistive technology that are similar in size and function to my company. Can, can you give me an example of what one of them might be? Oh, sure. Marblesoft, Mark Larson, okay, has sure. been for a long time. Now, when the iPad revolution came in 2010, he was as hurt by it as I was. People just stopped using PCs and Macs and jumped over to the iPad, and we weren't prepared for that. So our revenue model had to change just to stay alive. Mark did not do well. He didn't make the change quick enough. Fortunately for him, though, another company that makes key guards for iPads, that gentleman became ill and sold Mark the company, and now Mark's primary revenue, even though he's small like me still, is making key guards and not his um, past, which was making software for PCs and Macs. Got it. Got it. Perfect, perfect example of a, a small company, small staff, works with his wife, had success during the PC and Mac era, had to reinvent himself for the iPad era, and has done so successfully. And Got as it. I said, there are around 10 companies total that do that. Well, I aspire to be among you one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't take too much, actually, because even though people don't beat a path to our door, amongst our, our clientele, amongst our customers, amongst our fan base, word travels fairly quickly when you have something really sparky. Uh, word does get out there. Sometimes you've got to do e-blasts and social marketing but with those tools these days available, you can get the word out there to make a small company, um, if not profitable, at least survivable. Right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it's, it's not like there's any poverty of children in need, right, or, or adults in need in our, in, in our field. There's, there's, not, there's not really any um, – I, I, I would like to say that there's not a, a strictly competitive nature among us except for um, certain candidates who I won't mention. Um, I just ran across that last week. I, I've made these cases for people with autism for about five years now. And someone finally came along, a speech-language path, in fact, and she contracted a neuromuscular disease that uh, disabled her from, uh, from practicing. Oh, wow. She, she picked up um, a case very similar to the one that I picked up four years ago, and she developed her own adaptation to it, and she's offering it for sale commercially 
when I found that out, I felt a little threatened because I thought I was the only one working with that particular case. So I approached her and asked her if she just copied my design. And she was very nice. And she acknowledged me as someone respectable in the field. And she explained the history of why she did what she did. And it was, turned out that it was unrelated to my efforts. And her product was slightly different. And so the two can coexist in the marketplace. So um, one, one question that I get asked all the time from speech pathologists, and, and I'm sure you've gotten this too, it's everybody has an idea, right? Everybody's got some, something that's burning in them that they think is just going to change the world. And so they always ask me, you know, how do I do this? And, um, and, and as you know, the answer is not easy. It's, it's, if it's a piece of software, you need a software team. You know, if it's a piece of hardware, you need a production pipeline and distribution and everything else. Um, you, you've managed to do that on all these different fronts. Um, you know, is it just persistence? <laughs> I'd say persistence is a, is a big factor. I'm, I'm known for going too far. So I'll put efforts towards something. And then when you hit a brick wall, that's when I really start to work. And so I go a little farther than that brick wall. And that's usually where, if you can call it that, a payoff um, becomes apparent. Got it. A payoff for me means that something I've created, something that I've pushed the envelope on, and I send it out to the mom or the grandma or the teacher or the speech path, they tell me that it actually made a difference. It worked for this person and they love it. For me, that's the reward. Right. That's the most validating part for me. I totally understand. Yep. What happens after that, you're hoping that that person as you grow older, you find you're not as unique as you thought you were. And there are other people just like you all around the world. So you're hoping that that person, there are other people like that person you created this one product for, and then you put it on the website and you hope that other people of that nature find out about it so you can have some sales of the actual item. Got it. Okay. So, I, uh, Mr. Cooper, I've never found you to be one to shy from uh, from controversial statements, but feel free to bow out of this one if you want. Um, how do you feel about the, I guess, proliferation of professional industries related to AT in the last 20 years? It's a circle. I was just talking with some professionals at a recent um, uh, event in Ohio, very nice event. Traveled amongst four cities. It was AT vendor-based although we all had sessions and we tried to be as academic as possible. But we were talking about the circle of speech paths or practitioners, clinicians, teachers, and how 30 years ago, we in the forefront of the industry were teaching people about such things of, called unicorn boards or adaptive firmware cards. Very yeah, basic, sure. uh -huh. basic tools of the area early and mid 80s. Well, we had to teach people about what these things were and then how to use them and then how to apply them to their, their caseload. Well, you would, we had hoped that over the years that the practitioners would evolve into a more learned population. But what's happened is people retire, people get right. sick, people get pregnant, people change jobs. And so about every 20 years, we just get an influx of new professionals out there in the world, practitioners, that we have to re-educate. The latest time this happened was about 2010 through 2012. A whole bunch of new people jumped on board because of the iPad, but now Bluetooth was a real thing. 
Wi-Fi was a real thing, even though it's been around forever. But the iPad popularized so many of these things that we've had sure. around, and it brought in these new people that had to be educated about the way that we work with people with special needs. Unfortunately, a lot of these practitioners, maybe even some listeners here, wanted to jump right ahead to using something, a great product like ProLoquo to go and an iPad and think that almost everybody can jump right to that very high point. And I still see that and professionals like myself still see that, that the lessons we've learned over the 30 years of prerequisites and um, uh, incrementation of, uh, of um, learning, we take one step at a time in other words, those things have sort of fallen by the wayside and people try to jump right to what I call the prize right away. And if slash when they fail, they attribute it to the student or the learner. Right. And they continue to bang their head against the wall, causing stress to the learner instead of backing up and then taking an incremental approach. Right. I don't see this as an evolution. I see it as a cycle more. And I expect it to continue where people will become educated they might back down and learn to back up in their technology and then move forward incrementally. But I foresee that the same thing happening over and over and that life is fairly cyclical. That's, that's a really interesting uh, perspective on that. And it's one that I've heard echoed in very different terms from different people that, um, and I, I forget, I apologize. I'm sure you're listening. Whoever said this to me recently, that the ubiquity of iOS and Prolo particularly starting in, in 2008, um, was in many ways a disservice to emerging communicators because there became this um, sense that if you aren't ready to move on to a high-tech high device, then you aren't ready to communicate, right? Um, I, I, don't, I, I haven't seen that attitude too pervasively in the schools, but I have heard it articulated at conferences. Um, but, you know, one thing I always try to drill home, and I don't mean to – talk about myself, this is about you, but is that, you know, there, there's no, um, you know, you need those foundational skills and that there's nothing less valid about using a picture exchange system than there is about using like a multi-hierarchical sort of AAC system, um, provided that it's being implemented effectively. Is it, am I right in saying that? Very much so. Recently, a year and a half ago, I completed a master's degree in ASD curriculum and instruction at Arizona State University. Oh, wow. Okay. A total online, but I felt that I needed a master's. I wanted that. And someday maybe I'll get my PhD. Now this was two years of instruction, 33 credits. During this time, assistive technology comprised maybe one to 3% of the course curriculum that I was involved in. A very, very small disproportionate, disproportionate amount compared to how much technology you speech pass out there are actually using. And this was Arizona State. This is not chopped liver. This is a major school. No, that's a good school, sure. And yet still technology was not being taught at any type of a level of its actual use out in the field. The two things that were spoken of during this 1% to 3%, most of it was, you're not going to believe this, was the um, pit, pit, pit pecs. PEX was considered by this curriculum that I was involved in, PEX was the state of the art. Now, PEX was from the 1980s. It can't be considered state of the art by any projection, yet that's what was being taught at this graduate level ASD 33 credit curriculum was PEX. 
And it wow. only comprised a very small percentage, but of that small percentage, most of it was referencing the research and results of PECs. Very, right. very few times did I hear ProLocal to go, did I hear iPad was maybe mentioned in two years of instruction. I probably was the only one in my class that mentioned iPad, even the word iPad. So I think that a lot of the, if you want to use the word blame, I think that a lot of the blame goes to higher education, not embracing those things that are forced upon us or that we choose to force upon ourselves technologically out in the field. I wish people graduated with an SLP degree with some of these skills in place already, because it still seems now that most of the people that I run across, they're going to graduate with computer skills such as Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, Excel, the standard business tools, and the numbers that graduate with any real type of experience, let alone practical experience, with even a pro-loco to go, are far and few between. Right. And there's nothing I can do because I've never been totally immersed in the academic world. And it's very hard to convince these teachers. For example, I did approach my staff, my teachers during this 33 credit curriculum, and they said, oh, that's interesting, but that's just not part of our curriculum. They didn't show any interest in updating their curriculum to include the technology that you and I right now, Lucas, are discussing. Right. Well, and, and you know, I, I, I've challenged universities on that, and the rationale that I've consistently gotten is um, – that by the time they design a course around one piece of technology, it's going to move on to the, to the next. And, and my counterpoint to that is that, um, you know, and in this, this is relevant, I swear, but you know, like 70,000 years ago, we, um, we found all this archeological evidence that, uh, human foot bones got smaller and weaker. And it was right around the same time as we started finding shoes and burial sites. Right. So we've exported this quality of ourselves into the, into the environment and yet we don't call it alternative and augmentative locomotion. Right. You know, I mean, my, the argument I make to them is that language instruction is language instruction is language instruction, regardless of what modality that may take and to treat it any differently is a disservice to the learner. Um, I, I don't know if that makes any sense. I think a lot of people would disagree with me. I'm probably going to get some hate mail, but. No, I, I agree that the tool can be helpful but it's not the goal in and of itself. Sure, right. And, and many people look at the iPad with ProLoco to go as the goal in and of itself. They lose the prag- pragmatism, I guess would be the word, the social use of the tool. They lose that end goal and are just going for the mechanics of creating a sentence or what Chomsky called a generative grammar. And they're not really looking at the pragmatics of using a tool to communicate and that really hasn't changed over time. We're just changing the tool, not the goal. Right, right, perfect, okay. Well, as a man who was uh, invested a great deal of time um, in, in making tools, and you and I have bounced, you know, or you've shown me a lot of the stuff you've made, what's on the horizon? Um, you know, I, I know you're never gonna stop, so uh, what should we look forward <laughs> to you from, uh, from well, our day in the next few months? I did turn 65 a week and a half ago. Hey, congratulations, you get to tear up the insurance card, right? <laughs> no, I just have to change it over to Medicare now. Yeah. And so I'm looking at five years. I'd like to get another five years out of myself in order to still be what I consider creative. And fortunately, most people still look at me as a creative force in the industry, knock on wood here. And so I have two projects that I've been working on for several years that have not turned into products yet. And I'm not sure that I'm going to make them into um, 
four cost products, but they're, they're dear to my heart. One is a project called I Can Email, and it's at ICanEmail.org, and you can download it. Uh, actually, you can join it for free, and it's a website and free service for people that need to email or that you'd like to see emailing, but any type of email program on the market today, Outlook, Outlook Express, AOL, Hotmail, Gmail, those are all above the level of this type of a person. Yet this type of a person probably has the intelligence to understand the emailing, but they don't have the tool. This type of tool is called an email client. A client is just another word for saying this is the program that the emailing person would be using. The opposite side of an email client would be the email server. That's the big large computer like AOL or Excite or Hotmail or any of those. Got so it. This, this came about as a result of hearing about a federal program about seven years ago called eBuddies, whose job it was to put together disabled people with non-disabled peers and have them email with each other so that these disabled people could expand their world. The problem was they were using a client that was far above the intellectual level of the people that they wanted to use it. Right. So over the years, I've made a very, very, very simple user interface for people of this nature to be able to email like you and I, but they can do it at their own level. Everything is presented verbally to them, words are highlighted, and things are presented one thing at a time. What would you like to do? Who do you want this email to go to? Do you want a subject? Do you want to speak your message? Would you like to type your message? And everything is presented one screen at a time so that a person of this intellect could actually do this independently. So that's one project. Okay. Another project is called Seniors Jukebox. Sometimes I'll get called into a long-term care facility where somebody has had an accident or they're just getting older and they're losing function. And they want me to hotwire their hospital or long-time care room so the person can do things such as change the channels on TV, make a phone call, or operate a computer. During one of my visits, I noticed people around me as I walked in and out of the facility that they were all seniors, a lot had dementia, but for the most part, they were all just doing downtime is what I call it. They were doing nothing. And as I walked through the hall, I felt very guilty these people were reaching out to me. They wanted me just to touch them. They wanted to tell a story to me. But all I was doing was coming in to work with my person and then leaving. So over the next year, I created an app for iPads called, I, I'm sorry, called Seniors Jukebox, which allows a loved one, I call it a contributor, somewhere around the world to move media. This would be old-time TV shows, old-time radio feeds, um, videos of grandkids, uh, music that they work with, um, uh, photos from years ago. It allows a loved one to move media from their iPad to my server and then automatically, all by itself, get downloaded onto the user's iPad so that the next day when a staff member turns on the iPad for them, new material is right there for them to look at to watch their grandkids' first step or to listen to an old-time Andrew's sister video, or something that might mean something very personal to them. That's fantastic. I could see that using, using that with some of my uh, pediatric clients, too. I would hope that it would gain momentum. It's a very hard nut to crack because you get into these models, such as physical therapy or 
senior type of um, recreational therapy or speech pathology, even at speech at, at, at a long-term care center. And these people are very fixed on a met, what I call a medical model. And the concept of using technology, like you and I are discussing here, is sort of out of the box for them. So right. it's a hard sell to teach them that they can have their users doing more than just um, aquatic movements, movements of motion, um, being a passive listener to music, and that there's ways that they can get very interactive with an iPad if they can just make that jump to the technology that you and I are speaking of. Got it. Got it. Well, and that's so interesting too, that just learning the conventions of how to use a, you know, a touchscreen in these other things. That's one thing that's been interesting about my own work working in Russia and China is that many of those people have never interacted with the mouse and keyboard. You know, their touchscreen is their first interaction with the computer. So it's this completely different learning curve. Well, you do get, as you walk through even a supermarket these days, and I, I, I was in a restaurant where I saw this yesterday. You will see two-year-olds with their own iPad or an iPhone or an iPod Touch entertaining oh, yeah. themselves completely when, in fact, if you ask one of these long-term care people to do it, they have to be very taught almost every day because of their dementia or the Alzheimer's. And it's just so interesting to watch a two-year-old learn these things intuitively and watch somebody at the other end of the spectrum that has to be taught almost on a daily basis how to use that touchscreen technology. It's a very interesting comparison. Yeah, yeah, it is the way things have changed. Um, and the way things continue to change. I mean, I'll be really curious to see. I mean, we have now some indication with the new iOS that there's going to be some eye gaze control integrated. I know personally, a lot of my apps have gotten pretty broken by <laughs> iOS 11 changes. So, but you know, I mean, that's, that's the way that it works. And, and I admire um, your dedication to, to stick it out because you know, there's been some times even in my short period of time when I, I get real frustrated and I uh, think like, well, I'm just going to go make some more tick cards or something. And, <laughs> and then I reconsider. There's All many right. times where we are the, the brick wall ourselves. There's nobody else to go to. We've got to come up with these solutions. And there's nobody that I could give a call to that's above me at these things where I could ask how to do something. I just have to keep banging my head against the wall until I break through. Right. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, it's very true. There's very few people. I mean, I think that um, even Apple only has a very small group of people working in, um, you know, accessibility and, and to get a hold of folks is very challenging. When I go to conferences, I look for a younger me, which would be similar to you. And I, as I age out of the system, I, I had hoped that maybe someone could take my place even with my business. But the number of people with an engineering approach towards things but yet they have practical experiences in special needs. These people are very few and far between. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, that's, I was lucky that my bachelor's was computer science. But if you, if you were to draw a Venn diagram of the intersection between SPED and engineering, it's like. Well, yeah, it's, it's almost, little, right, almost non-existent. I agree yeah. totally. And I'm constantly on the lookout for that type of a person, but very rare. Yep. All right. So speaking of which, we, we have a quick challenge for you, sir. Because you, uh, you just you just spoke to 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 uh, you know needing to reach above you to to get answers. So I am at a school district right now, and um, I hesitate to, to name the school district, but it's one of those school districts in rural Oregon that's several hours away from my home and only has one elementary school and a joint middle school and high school. And um, so I'm digging through their stuff here, and I, I need your advice. And so the, we'll, this is this is our little trivia game here. I need like a, a music. 
So I have just found a VoicePal Levels M17. What is this? VoicePals? From, Ad from Adaptivation Incorporated, right. who I understand fell out of an airplane. I don't know that, but I know John, the owner of the company, but I don't think he's actually involved in the company that much anymore because I haven't seen him at any of the recent years of Closing the Gap. Uh, Adaptivation's main claim to fame were these PAL pads. Okay. Thin membrane squares. Yep, that's that, what this is. There's eight of them, or there's ten of them. They're very thin, and they were designed to be applied directly toward on an apple or something flat, but they can actually be wrapped around, and with the adhesive tape they come with, you can actually make your object electronic in some way. Ah, maybe I can use this. Now the PAL pad would plug into a control box. It doesn't work as a switch in and of itself. It needs to plug into a box that then translates a very, very, very low amount of energy into a click that a normal switch would just do a click. Now that control box then has to plug into something in order for that click, when you grab the apple, to register into something. And this right, is and here's what I have here is the control box and not the membranes. That's possible. Now, one thing that John did not do, and I do think that this was one of his, I can't call it a failure, but something that he just didn't do was he didn't follow through on the application end. So did he didn't make any apps for which this would be to totally appropriate. So you had people buying this really cool thing that says, well, when I pick up this apple, it's going to activate the Big Mac, which is just a talking button. And now when I pick up this apple, the Big Mac is going to go, I'm going to have a bite of this apple. But it didn't have any, it didn't have any depth until you started adding n a number of these PAL pads, and that became very ungainly very quickly. Multiple wires, modally uh, taction pads. That's what they were called, taction pads. And you didn't really have a great application in which to use this very interesting technology. And then over the years, John also created a talking button. He created a step-by-step -step button, which means that you press it once, yeah. it'll say hello. Sure. And then the next time you press it, it's going to continue on with a scripted conversation, such as, how are you? The next one might be, my name is John. And then on and on like that. So he's created these interesting little one-offs that, that have had some success, but he's never really cracked the nut on getting his product out there like an IntelliKeys, which got everywhere in the whole SPED yes, universe. Yes. So when we're talking about your little school district, you're talking about a tool there. And I get many questions by email or by phone, which people call and talk about a tool. Or even at a conference, they come by and look at the tools that I have. And I always stop them. And I always say the same things over and over. I call it my riot act. And I say, Tell me about the person you want to use this with. So I go back to the student themselves and I ask about the goals that you have for a student. And then I go back to the tools after I talk about Perfect. the student Perfect. and the goals. So I never ever, or I rarely start with the tool. I always start with a need. That's, that's, a, that's great advice. And, and not to, again, copy you and seem all wise here, but when I have uh, interns or students, I always encourage them to meet the students before or to meet their students before they read the IEPs because um, they can just prejudice you for <laughs> whatever. At conferences, the same advice holds what you just said. 
people come up at a conference, they'll pass by the booth and they'll ask, what do you have here? Or I've heard about your such and such. And I give them, I think, my sage advice, I'll call it that. And that is you easily overwhelmed at conferences with the, the plethora of things to look at and the sessions that you're going to. If you can keep in mind one or two people that you want to apply the technology to and then look for tools, I think it's better to walk away from the conference for a few tools for those one or two people than try to get a grand overview of everything that was at the event. Right. Absolutely. Um, okay. I have one more challenge. Are you ready? I can try. And this is, this is great because it's an, so I'll give you a hint. It's an AbleNet device, but it's back when AbleNet had a different font. Uh, it was like the cursive. So this is, it looks to me to be like the precursor to a GoTalk and it's called a flash and it's a four button single step device. It looks like. I don't believe that's produced anymore. Over the years, as AbleNet has evolved very nicely, if not the best of all the assistive tech companies, they had a marriage, a, a quote unquote, between a gentleman named Adam from Laureate Learning, one of the very early assistive tech players. Adam Wing? or Yes, Adam Wing. Sure, sure. And Jenny, I don't know her last name, but about 12 years ago, these two people got together to head AbleNet and they've done a magnificent job of taking it from about my level to way above my level. Very professional. It's employee owned. It's portfolio based rather than product based. But over the years, they've dabbled with AAC products and they've tried everything from one unit called a Tango, which turned yeah. out to be a $10,000 device from a father with an autistic child. The HBO guy, sure. The HBO guy, you, you got that right. He wanted a $1,000 AAC device and it came out to be $10,000. Unfortunately, it was so different than anything else that it didn't catch on. And over the years, AbleNet has played with, and still does, different AAC devices. Uh, the GoTalk is actually from a attainment company. AbleNet has its own device these days, but I don't keep track of it they don't seem to ever get to be a real player in the AAC field. They're best known for the ancillary products of, of um, um, AbleNet would be, they started, one of their very first products was a spinner, just a, 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 an analog spinner to create um, paintings by switch to give you an idea of the technology. Oh, yes, I've seen a demonstration of that at Closing the Gap, actually, I think. That was one of their very first products, if not the first product. And they still are very well known for the Big Mac and um, uh, uh, even not a non-technology curriculum, a math curriculum that they created is very popular. So they've never really been known as a real AAC formidable player, but they have enough capital that they can make these plastic products and they make them very well. But as I travel around the country, more so than just about anybody, I get to see what people actually have in their repertoire of tools and I rarely see the AAC um, AbleNet devices. I see a lot of GoTalks. I see a lot of the big boys. These would be the $10,000 items. I see a lot of iPads by far these days. Right. But right. I, well, I, I and, and AbleNet's new product, or well, it has been for some time now, is the QuickTalker Freestyle, right? Which is, nice. um, which is an iPad. <laughs> but as I said, I don't see that a lot out there. I don't think people look to AbleNet as an quote-unquote an AAC player. 
I think right. they look at it as just a good company that makes a variety of things. The Blue 2, their switch interface yep. slash dual switch, very popular. So they find something that works and they stay with it. But I, don't, I couldn't put them in the same category as an actual Toby Dynavox or a Prinky Romich or a Saltillo or something of that nature. They just they have more SKUs than anybody else, and they've got a different um, business model, I think. They have over 400 SKUs at this point. So that tells the story more than an AAC device right. that may or may not right. catch on. Well, I, you know, in the interest of your time, I, I feel like I should let you go, but this has been a really fantastic um, conversation. What, what would you like to share with us that I haven't asked you yet? In doing these types of podcasts, the person listening to them, you, the listener out there, it's a difficult decision whether to sit through a podcast. And I, I myself have the same difficult decision when I go to webinars online. Do I really want to sit here and just listen to someone spout off for 15, 20 minutes, a half an hour? So I would, I would urge the listener to be liberal in the fast forward button and skip around during this um, diatribe that we've had here and see if you can glean some even one or two pearls of wisdom, so to speak. Uh, that's what my advice is because to take your valuable time and be egotistical enough to think that you're just going to sit through and listen to this whole thing from beginning to end. I, that's not the way I do it, so I don't think it's the way you would do it. So I would just beg you to put in a little time, skip around the recording there, See if you can just glean even one or two pearls of wisdom that may make you a better right. practitioner. That, that's fantastic advice because I always feel obligated to listen to the whole thing. And my, I've got the, uh, you know, attention span of a startled ferret. <laughs> that works well. Well, um, RJ, it's, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and uh, thank you so much for being one of our, our guinea pigs. I believe you're our first couple interviewees for, for talking with tech. And um, I look forward to intersecting with you uh, many times in the future. Well, thanks, Lucas. You take care up there. All right. Cheers. You as well. Okay, bye. Well, welcome back from that interview that we just finished with Mr. RJ Cooper. Uh, he's a, a real character and a staple on the, uh, the assistive technology scene for sure. Um, one funny story I have about him um, a couple years ago, uh, or no, a couple months ago, we were at a conference um, together and we're, we're sitting there being nerds and talking about switch accessibility as we always do. And uh, Temple Grandin um, went cruising by on a little scooter next to us. And it's just testament to how, how nerdy we are with the electronics that we both just sort of looked and said, huh, Temple Grandin. And then went back to our conversation um, about about the switches. But anyway, it's always always a fun conversation. Thanks so much for coming on. For for more information on Mr. Cooper and his products, please do, all, as always, check out tech.speechscience.org, where we'll have a debrief there. But also go to our store.rjcooper.com. Um, he's got a lot of cool stuff. Um, so I think we'll probably end up seeing uh, Mr. Cooper at ASHA. Who else is going? I'm going to Asha. I didn't mean to rub the salt in again. I am not going. <laughs> but, really? but I am really looking forward to all the things you're going to post on social media because um, what's the hashtag for Asha? Is it Asha17 as opposed to Asha2017, right? I think there's two circulating, I believe. I think I've seen more on 17, but yeah, there's definitely two. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think 17 is the official one. And I think there's it, it, if there's people who are going to be listening to this podcast, are going to be the people that can't make it to ASHA like me, right? So they're in the same boat as me. I'm sure there'll be people who go to ASHA and listen to this as well. But a lot of people want to be learning from this podcast because they can't be at ASHA, you know? Absolutely. What, what talks are you guys excited for? Well, I guess I should say... 
Lucas. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> well, I so there's a number of talks that I'm I'm excited for. I have a lot of friends giving presentations. I have a lot of friends giving poster presentations. Um, those of you out there that might know me and my notoriety is for having starting a uh, a men's group um, for speech language pathologists. Not that there's are there there aren't other uh, gender issues, but anyway, there's um, some presentations going on there by my friends, uh, good friends. Uh, Mike Skidos and Mr. Perry, uh, Vice President Perry, so Perry Flynn, um, Mr. Skidos and Perry Flynn. And so I'm sad to miss those, however, because I am only exhibited or I'm only signed up for the exhibit hall because I don't think I'm enough time to get anything done with other meetings. So I would love to meet you folks. We're going to be posting on Facebook some live interviews as we do them. We'll be collecting audio. We want to talk to you. We want to hear your thoughts um, both in person and, of course, through tech at speechscience.org. Um, so I, I hope to run into you, and I think, uh, Rachel, you're going to be doing some of the same, right? Well, hopefully, yeah. I'm going to be hanging out with you, Lucas, part of the time. Um, I also have some friends who are speaking at ASHA this year. Um, actually, I have um, a good friend of mine, Stacey Landenberg. She spoke at ASHA last year on media mentorship, um, and she does a lot. She knows a lot about how screen time can affect speech and language development. So I'm hoping that I can get her uh, to agree to come onto the show. But she's speaking this year about the default uh, mode network um, and and autism specifically, and you know how to train things like joint attention and symbolic play. And these are all things that are activated through the default mode network, which we know kids with autism. Um, have a hard time with. So I'm excited for that. And there is another um, duo, Megan and Amanda, Megan and Amanda O'Brien. Um, they're out of Boston. They're doing a lot of work with just-in-time supports, um, specifically using consumer products like the Apple, um, the Apple Watch to provide scaffolding and visual supports for adolescents and adults, I believe, with autism, um, which I think is really interesting. Like, how can we start using technology, you know, like the Apple Watch that's pervasive now in our culture and using them to, to help support individuals with uh, disabilities? You know, I have a feeling that's going to be a theme of this podcast. Well, we'll have to see when we're 20 episodes in if that happens to be a theme, but that there's just using mainstream tech is uh, becoming more and more prolific. Yes, I yeah, agree. I can't wait. Um, there's actually a poster, which I'm really excited to see. It's on AAC Camp. So it's essentially a short-term intensive program for parents and families um, who are just starting to implement AAC. And I thought that was really interesting because the, the best time or the most you know, crucial time for AAC is in the beginning when parents don't know how to use the device and there's lots of questions. So being able to have an intensive uh, time period where you're supported by, caregiver, uh, supported by staff that can help you through the process, I think, is a really, um, it's a really good idea. What do you guys think? Yeah. Oh, have, go ahead, Lucas. Sorry. No, I, I taught you much. Please go right ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I have like a thousand questions for these people. So uh, like how long was the camp and what time of year was the camp? Did they do it like an after school camp? Like you come every day or is it uh, during summer when a lot of kids have off uh, or they don't get the extended school year services? Maybe they go to camp for a couple of weeks. I'd be really curious, like the logistics behind it and then the outcomes that they had. Absolutely. I know. I'm going to... Uh... I'm going to post up and, and ask all those questions on your behalf, Chris. Thank you. Perfect. Post, post the answers to uh, Asha, hashtag Asha17. Got it. <laughs> Good call. 
I can't wait to have those conversations. Well, thank you once again so much for tuning in. Uh, one one goal we've set to our, for ourselves is to honor your time and try to always wrap up right around 45 minutes. So once again, for Speech Sciences Talking with Tech, this is Lucas Stuber, along with my friends Rachel Madel and Chris Bouguet. Please do send us an email. That, that email is tech at speechscience.org, or feel free to give us a phone call at 503 503- Three four five six seven four zero. We want to hear your feedback. We want to hear your your questions and your ideas. And we also would love your reviews on iTunes. Uh, we'd love for you to share us with your friends. That's how these things grow, and that's how we can make sure to keep on producing them for you. So once again, for talking with tech, this is Lucas Stuber. Thanks so much. Um, there's actually a poster which I'm really excited to see. It's on AAC Camp. So it's essentially a short-term intensive program for parents and families um, who are just starting to implement AAC. And I thought that was really interesting because the, the best time or the most you know, crucial time for AAC is in the beginning when parents don't know how to use the device and there's lots of questions. So being able to have an intensive uh, time period where you're supported by caregiver, uh, supported by staff that can help you through the process, I think is a really, um, it's a really good idea. What do you guys think? Yeah. Oh, I have, go ahead, Lucas. Sorry. No, I, I talked too much. Please go right ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I have like a thousand questions for these people. So uh, like how long was the camp and what time of year was the camp? Did they do it like an after school camp? Like you come every day or is it uh, during summer when a lot of kids have off uh, or they don't get the extended school year services? Maybe they go to camp for a couple of weeks. I'd be really curious, like the logistics behind it and then the outcomes that they had. Absolutely. I know. I'm going to... Uh... I'm going to post up and and ask all those questions on your behalf, Chris. Thank you. Perfect. Post post the answers to uh, Asha, uh, hashtag Asha17. Got it. (laughs) Good call. (laughs) 